Welcome into Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two for One Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. I'm here in Cincinnati in studio with my guy, Mike Renner, ready to rip it up on a listener mailbag episode. Some questions about perfect draft fits, day two and day three steals. We're also going to get into interviews with TCU safety Ardarius Washington, a fantastic interview. And then also Oklahoma cornerback Trey Brown, who's got some good things to say about some of the receivers in the Big 12. And before we jump into the podcast here, go to Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review for a chance to get a draft guide. You take a screenshot of that review, send it to me on Twitter in the DMs, not Mike, because Mike doesn't answer DMs. Send it to me on Twitter in the DMs. I'm going to give you a draft guide, 50% of you, a draft guide. Please do that right now. Until, without further ado, let's get it. People on YouTube don't listen to the podcast. If you don't listen to the podcast, you only watch on YouTube. You don't get to hear my audio-only intros. I just dropped a, a banger. Yeah. Without further ado, let's get it. I might lead with that on dates. I don't know. You know, the, I'm trying to get better here. We're recording this during LSU's Pro Day, so we're going to be getting some numbers rolling in here. But can you react to these, please? Jamar Chase, six foot two hundred five, forty one inch vert, eleven foot broad. That is explosive. That's a monster. That's a monster start for Jamar Chase. Yes, I think this is why we're talking about him as the wide receiver one in this draft class. He was on the football field, obviously freakishly productive, but like physically a different dude. Also, like there's a reason why he. Broke tackles left and right while he get open seemingly at will down the football field. People saying he's slow. We don't have a 40 yet on him. He's not slow. Go back and flip on the F and tape. I'll just say it. Not slow. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if we're going to get Julio Jones level of combine. He did best Julio Jones' vertical, though. Julio Jones, 38 and a half inch vert. But then Julio Jones went 11-3 on the broad. But the sick Julio Jones number that I'm curious to see what Chase will do. He did the devil's three cone, the six 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 three cone, mm. at six foot three two twenty is an insane number. I'm hoping for similar from Chase. Let's see. I was just trying to make a music reference, but I don't know it. I, there was a rapper or a oh. singer, Lil Nas X. Um, Nas X. He's doing something. Well Please help me reference. out here. Please. It's, yeah, the Satan show. It's Lil that's Nas right, X. That's yeah, right. Jamar Chase is wearing us at his product. Is he really? No. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Trevor Lawrence is not with that. Yeah. Trevor oh, Lawrence tweeted about that. it. Yeah. I didn't see he that. He said a line has to be drawn. Oh my God! Did he say it with that voice? I did. Okay. Uh, well, Tyler Shelvin, can we mention? Oh, everyone's going to be talking about Jamar Chase today. Tyler Shelvin comes in at six foot two, three fifty, twenty eight and a half inch vert. That's fucking fire. That's how he put one. I had twenty. Dude, and you imagine Shelvin on the basketball court. That guy could get up, make some plays. So six two with twenty eight and a half inch vert. You'd be hard pressed. You'd be close to dunking, dude. You're not probably going to dunk. You got to be at that Just height. Like me. You got to be Just a little. Like uh, you got to be around about thirty. All right, while we're doing this listener mailbag, I'm going to be zooming here looking at different pro day numbers for LSU because they're awesome. Terrace Marshall just did a 39-inch for a 10.5-inch broad, which isn't Jamar Chase levels, but still really good for him. Jacoby Stevens, 42-inch for 10-10 broad. Some good numbers coming through from LSU. Are they doing this shit day. off a trampoline over there in LSU? My dude, God. Dude, these guys are bouncy. All right, uh, I don't like that. Uh, going to go into the listener mailbag here. We are close to being caught up, my friend. However, we were close. Then we're averaging over like eight to 10 
podcast review questions a day. And like we can only get to like 40 per episode. We are cruising for a bruising here. We might have to go live. You know what? Here's here's the bet, Quinn. Day before the draft, we will answer every single leftover mailbag question on that Wednesday, regardless if we have to do a 10-hour podcast. We will do it. Yeah, we might have. I'm to. committing to that. I'm committing to that if you are. Live stream. We live stream. We just do a live stream, 10 hours. Of just absolute monstrosity numbers. And if you can't listen to it all, that's fine. But we're going to make sure we're not, I'm not going back on our promise here. We yeah. said we'd answer and we're going to answer. Yep. All right. This one's from Joe in NM. My question for the pop taking into account team roster, draft capital, ownership, and team location, which NFL franchise would you want to be the GM of if you had to keep the current coaching staff and why? The Jaguars, for the fun of it, like the Jaguars would be, you have your kid in a candy store right now. Yes. You got the most draft capital. You got the most cap space. You got Trevor Lawrence and you got Urban Meyer. It would just be fun. Also, Jacksonville, low key, it's, it's, it's on the beach. It's not a bad city to live in. You can go on Tony Khan's yacht. It'd be fun. So that's Jaguars. Now, if you're talking about just like job security, maybe the Chiefs, you got Patrick Mahomes, hard chance of getting fired there with the winning they'll be doing. Maybe the 49ers as well, but uh, Jaguars. There you go. I think Jaguars is the right one, especially with this draft, you know, getting Trevor Lawrence. And you also have a second first round pick. You have the first pick of the second round. Like you can go make some plays, man. Big fan of that. Job security is overrated at GM. If you fail at GM, you just go on TV and act like you knew it all anyways. Hey, who are you subtweeting? (laughs) You better watch your ass. You better watch your ass. Can I, can I bring in some numbers here? Florida's also doing their pro day. Kyle Pitts, 6'5", 245, 10 and 5 inch hands, Mm. 10 and 5 eighths inch hands, 33 and 4 eighth inch arms 83 and 38 inch wing oh that dude is w- wings those Damn are wings. seven foot dude wing. might be able to take flight those That's, are fucking uh, monstrous that helps with the old off target passes i've heard i've heard good things kyle trask knows that well uh let's get to g-i-g-c-g-c-c-o-f-i-c-t-c-f-i-c-i-c-i-c-i-f that's his username and not my dad's name oh all right between the two all-time named secondaries all-time name secondaries in Oregon's Javon Holland, Thomas Graham, Jamador Lenoir, and Brady Breeze. And Syracuse's Trill Williams, Fatu Melifanu, and Andre Sisco. Which group of players do you think is going to have more overall NFL success? Can I start? We got to judge. We got to pick a winner of the names, though. First. first names. I think the Syracuse names are way cooler. Really? Yeah. Trill? I was going to go Oregon. They got have a name named Trill. Trill is sick. Dude, Brady Breeze is Brady one Breeze of the dopest names. Sorry, that sounds like a, a side character that rolls into Saved by the Bell or something. Like, Brady Breeze is just a cool He's name. definitely the cool kid in high school. But he is not a good NFL prospect. I, I think Syracuse, Oregon has guys I feel better about, like, actually. Like, Javon Holland, you feel he'll be good in the NFL. Thomas Graham would just be a solid player in the NFL. Syracuse has the quote-unquote upside. Those guys are freak athletes. Roller coasters, man. Trill, Ifatsu, really and Cisco. Yeah. All righty. Moving to TMP665. Green Bay Packers have always had a great offensive line. With Lindsley probably walking, he did. Should they move Lucas Patrick to center, Lane Taylor and John Runyon at guards, and Debock and Jenkins at tackles? Or should they draft players for right tackle and center? They probably should move Lucas Patrick to center and then move Oakton Jenkins to tackle. I, I think then keep Turner at guard, not... That Lane Taylor and John running. I think Turner, you slide inside. Elton Jenkins is a good offensive tackle. I'm putting on record right now. I think that guy could that be a top times. 10 offensive tackle. He played exceptionally well against Minnesota week one when he was there. Didn't give him much of a shot after. I think he'll be, until David Bakhtiari gets healthy this year, he'll be their left tackle. 
coming back from the ACL. It's David Bakhtiari. I think he's the tackle of the future, man. He's that. He, there's nothing about his profile that suggests he can't be a tackle. And if that's the case, you give the guy a shot at tackle because how much are these guys paying tackles left and right in the NFL? A lot. If you got a guy who can play call out of tackle, give him a shot. All right. Jumping now to Apale Burtson. One of the things I like about PFF is that by making advanced analytics available to the public, you equip fans to bring some accountability to teams where there hasn't been much in the past. That's very true. Mm-hmm. But spell it out for us. Give us three common, inexcusable failures by NFL teams that we can easily identify and point out using data for PFF subscribers. Paying running backs. Paying running backs big money. We don't have to beat this dead horse too much, but that's – just look at the track record. It's fucking awful. Yeah. Second contract running backs. You know any teams around here that might be doing that? Close Since to our I office. Joe Mixon. I've, I've heard – That Joe Mixon contract was wild. They're paying two running backs also. Yeah, so I will they, say this, though. They spend more money on running backs than any team in the NFL, fun fact. And I've had this conversation before, and it's probably boring to most of the listeners, but inexcusable failure from a your goal is to win football game standpoint. But it's not an inexcusable favor failure from like a marketability standpoint. Like the Panthers didn't just pay Christian McCaffrey because he's a good football player. They paid him because he's like legitimately their team. The yeah, he's the face. I mean, Solomon Wilcox brought brought that up a ton about how teams' incentives, specifically front offices and ownership, is not always to win a Super Bowl or win the most football games in 2021 or the next season. Like, I'm sorry. As 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 much as fans hope that every single move their GM or owner is making is them to win the Super Bowl next season, it's oftentimes not. Oftentimes it's jersey prioritization, you know, fans and seats prioritization, all that stuff. And I think some of these paying running backs plays like Kamara, McCaffrey, where like mm-hmm. they're legitimately the most marketable piece of the fucking team. That's why you pay them big money. Okay. Next one I would say is passing on quarterbacks near the top of the draft. A lot of teams regret it. It's excuse how valuable that position is and how valuable incremental change at that position can be. And then drafting to fill holes would be the last, I'd say. It just ignores roster turnover. Rosters turnover very fast. Holes change very quickly at the NFL. If you're drafting to, oh, I need a running back, give me Leonard Fournette. Mm, No, because now the Jaguars, oh, they they need a cornerback. They could have used Marshawn Lattimore the past couple years. Passed on him. And obviously, they were in the passing on the quarterbacks market too there. So those are the things... I would say are the inexcusable failures. All right, do with now. You jumping to Blake J. Poole. Let's say hypothetically that your hometown team lays a series of fraud coaches, GMs, coach slash GMs, and chaplains trade away all your <laughs> team's assets for overpriced, washed-up vets, and your once-in-a-generation quarterback is willing to lose a year of pay just to avoid the organization. Hypothetically, <laughs> love this guy. What team would you declare as your new team, or what ownership and management group is the most? competent and forward thinking at least to likely and least likely to ruin the franchise for the next decade blake j pool i apologize that you live in houston mm-hmm. and then you've been a texans fan your whole life what would you go i do like being a packers fan they've been pretty consistently successful it's Homer. you know there's some there's some ups and downs everyone has that though as a franchise and i will say you can't beat the game day atmosphere at lambo it is unlike anywhere else and now it helps being from Wisconsin and everyone's like fat and talks with a Wisconsin accent there and it feels like home to me. But it's still like people get rowdy. The only bad thing is it's a little cold most of the season, but it's it's still worth it. So as, a, as an adopted Bengals fan, it also makes me really appreciate being a Packers fan. Quinn, what's your opinion of being a Bengals fan? How's that been for you? It's been great. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. 
All right. It's my official. Bengals tailgates are fun. I've had too much fun, as I've told on the podcast. It's also unique, too, because a lot of stadiums, it's like just a giant lot out in front of the stadium, whereas that's not really how the Bengals tailgates are set up. They're kind of all over the city. And it's also like cheap because no one wants to go to the games. You can just roll. This is very true. Yeah. That's a, that's what I look for in a fandom. Which, which team? <laughs> how, which team can I go? How little do other fandom? fans care about <laughs> yeah. this team? Reds which, games too. If you're looking for a new baseball uh, yeah. team, which team can I be cheap. a fan of where no one wants to go to the games? That's that's what I'm looking for. All right, this is from Daniel Michael Devito Jr. Easily the best football pod out there. Sorry, I don't mean to read those all the time. Oh, this one's kind of funny. I don't know when this will be read, but if Mike's hair keeps up, he'll turn into Sonic. God damn it. You kind of do. It's kind of got a sonic vibe to it. I didn't even think the about that. The top has been. I've been yeah, trying yeah. to let the top. It's like go you out. just like you like you just sprinted through a tunnel or something. I love it Thank personally. You. I appreciate. You should that. be Sonic for Halloween. All right, a lifelong University of Minnesota fan. I haven't seen many elite prospects come out of the school until recently. Are there any more that are still on the team that I should look forward to watching next season? Yes, you should definitely look forward to watching right tackle Daniel Falele, six foot nine. 400 pounds, the largest man in college football. I mean, hashtag fun to watch. We're keeping it 100. Yeah. That guy, different level of human being. Can't And he, he holds 400 pounds. Talk about Tyler Shelvin and, you know, 350 and how that that's a big boy. But, like, he's holding fat. Daniel Falele has a interesting – the way he holds 400 pounds is not – like, that guy is – he couldn't get under 300 if he, you know, went on the Atkins diet. That guy just is built to be that big, a naturally enormous human being, and just started playing football like four years ago. So we'll see where he ends up. What about the the edge defender for Minnesota? Boye Mafe. Yeah, Ma- I kind of like. Mafe. I like Boye Mafe a little bit. He's okay. He's like a. He's going to be like 24 next year when he comes out. I apologize. Just no, I apologize for bringing it up. I'm just honestly. saying. If you want to talk about he, it, he, he, okay. He said elite prospects. Fair. fair Would you call fair. him? Oh God, I'm, I'm not calling Fala Lele. Falele elite yet okay he's just big as hell he is big as hell all right this is from pugsley boy i'm of the opinion that kyle pitts is the best offensive weapon in this draft so instead of chase or smith the dolphins should go pitts at three well they're not three anymore but may, say pitts is available to them at six it could be that could be the play at six yeah it could be the play at six gazeki pitts will fuller Devonte parker that's a jump ball that seems that squad's built to play basketball honestly yeah those are and and you got some i mean cal pitts can make plays after the catch so can gasicki like i mean they're jump ball guys but also like you're gonna get some yak from those guys. yeah so i i don't think it's crazy i would if they went there and then he says raidens or darisaw at 18 to protect tua yeah don't hate that don't definitely that with, dude with talk your... about like youngest offensive line in the nfl <sighs> if they like bring in darisaw or if they bring an offensive tackle in the first round then he's starting it right austin jackson at left you got hunt kinley on the inside it's going to be a young offense blind. You're going to need some 12. development. All right. This is from Swag Daddy 42 I love the safety position and agree with you guys that it's undervalued in the draft and in NFL contracts. Because of that, I have guys like Mo Rig, Ardarius Washington, Javon Holland ahead of all the linebackers besides Parsons on my board. Is that crazy? Yeah, I think that's crazy. Because I think it also ignores the competency aspect of like a good, a good linebacker is still more valuable than an average safety sort of thing. And those guys are very good linebacker prospects. Not to shit on those safeties and safety prospects, but like Jeremiah Wuskaromoa, if he, was, if he just called Jeremiah Wuskaromoa as a safety, he'd probably still, like I'd probably still rather have him than like a Javon Holland or a Darius Washington. Fair enough. So there you have it. All right. He has another question. 
tell me why Javon Holland isn't the best safety in this class. Where would you put Chauncey Gardner-Johnson in this class? I think it's a decent comp. Interesting. Uh, CJ, we like CGJ coming out. I think he was a second round grade on that Hori board that year, which, ooh, I got to create the Hori board. I love the Hori board. I got I to gotta put that together. But second round grade. Can you explain to people what the fuck a Hori board is? Yeah, so it's basically just your positions. You have all the positions, the guys at that position, and then slotted into the round of where you w- would want them to go. So you have then horizontally guys at similar tiers, which is, I think, a better way to look at it is tiers than a, just like a one through 250 big board. Because just because the guy's ahead of you on the big board doesn't necessarily mean they're the better player, like the position they play still, obviously, matters. It's a complex problem we are trying to solve here, but I love the Hori board. So uh, CGJ, CD Deuce, I think he's a little bit more solid tackler. Like he was a physical player at Florida, obviously an absolute dog on the football field with his trash talk, all-timer. absolutely love that. The amount of guys he has had wanted to fight him is just... We need to get him on the podcast and just I get know. in, pick that brain. Dude, I want him to I make, need it for my rec me. basketball. I, we should get roasted. If we should have Chauncey Gardner roast us. Give him like a couple pictures of us on IG and be like, come in and just fucking dog What if he like roast. actually got in your head and Dude, you're like mentally like, I'm I want to kill this guy. I want in. I want to be fucking <laughs> killed by Chauncey Gardner Johnson. Put that on a quote graphic. <laughs> but Holland, instinctive player, just not a, not a great athlete not, not like an exception he's fine athlete for the position and he's just a little again I, I think i described him not soft but like he's not a physical tone setter of a safety or a slot cornerback which that still is a important aspect of playing the position i was talking to a cornerback recently that brought up talking a ton of shit i think it was asante samuel jr or darius washington one of them and that will be playing on the upcoming podcast here we have Darius washington and trey brown on the show I think Odarius Washington talks about talking shit all the time. He says it's big. Yeah. Playing important. All right. Now, last one here. Hot take. Missouri safety number nine is better than Josh Bledsoe, but receiving less hype. Pittsburgh safety number three is better than Paris Ford, but getting less hype. Ooh. Um, that'd be Tyree Gillespie, I think he's talking about for Missouri. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't get the Bledsoe hype. Tyree Gillespie's a much better player. Uh, Bledsoe's way down on our board. Gillespie's like top 120 guy. And then, yeah, Paris Ford's toast on the board. That sucks. That's a no-go. 4-9-40 is a no-go. And DeMar Hamlin would be the other guy yeah. there who's a solid player. Former five-star that originally was recruited by, like, all the Blue Bloods. Goes to Pittsburgh. I think he's from the area or close to it. And then injuries, man. Apparently he had, like, yes. he had to have surgery before his freshman season. That kind of fucked him. And, like, yeah. a lot, a lot of injuries. And he didn't test, like, Every single year freaky. Yeah, he didn't yeah. test, like, freaky, but still. Solid Better athlete, athlete than Paris He's Ford. a really good tackler, too. So, All right. Yeah. This is from Mindy Cat. Thanks to future Miami Dolphins Ring of Honor candidates Bill O'Brien, <laughs> the Dolphins have four picks in the first two rounds. Assuming they trade back from three, they did. What's the perfect but also realistic haul for those two two rounds, including what they would get in a potential trade? So let's attack the question, what should they do with their first four picks? Let's do it. Dive in. Dream haul here. Number six overall, Devontae Smith. With Chase off the board or over Chase? I assume Chase is off the board. Gotcha. Here. Gotcha. It's, yeah, I think Chase Understood. Off the board. If not, Jamar Chase. 18 overall, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa in that defense. Sheesh. 36 overall. Don't ever say that again. North Dakota State offense tackle, Dylan Radens. Inside-outside versatility. Would love that bit. 50 overall, Jamar Johnson. Indiana safety. Upgrade that safety position. Versatile coverage, dude. There you have it. 
Is sheesh like a a trend among young people right now? I think a lot of people are saying that more than. I never stopped. Oh, really? Always been a sheesh guy. Yeah, you're also the youngest one here, so true. If anybody should yeah, be true, but that I feel like I have an old soul. Yeah, Gen X I over there. Soul. I'm not Gen X. I'm a millennial. Um. Anyway, all right. Sheesh. <laughs> all right, going to sincere Allah. Uh, question: What are opinions of Chris Rump? I feel like he can be a late day two, early day three pick. I feel like with the right coordinator, like a Wink Martindale, he can be impactful. What are your feelings on this? So Rump, we didn't really talk about this news. We'll talk about pro days. I think on Monday after they're all wrapped. Yeah, yeah. We'll do. A I nice think they'll all be wrapped day. by Monday. Will they not be? All the big ones. So you yeah. got like some straggler FCS or not FCS group. Are you hitting on FCS schools? Group of five, excuse me, stragglers. Same thing. But Chris Rump got up to 244 at his Ooh. pro day. But he didn't do anything other than the bench, which basically means, hey, put on a bunch of bad weight just to basically say I'm an edge defender. And that's the biggest thing with him. Yeah. It, he has the he has the wingspan. Like, he has the shoulder base. Like I think he could put on. It's just going to take him a minute to get up to the play strength and size. You need to play edge defender in the NFL. So I was a little surprised he actually declared this year. Didn't do anything other than his bench at the pro day. Only 18 reps on the bench. He's just not strong, physical enough to play on the edge. Sub-package rusher right now. But at, again, at that size, and, that, and he's if he's not doing work out his pro day, it's because he's not super athletic at that size just yet. I think he is. You can't draft that guy before like the fifth round, sadly. Fair super, enough. super, super, super talented with his hands as a pass rusher. I watched again because I was watching Robert Hainsey, Notre Dame off tackle, and he had just an insane rep where he was completely locked up. Hainsey has his arms around him after he tried to go on an outside move and just spun like underneath him. And I was like, Houdini'd his way out of Hainsey's grasp. And I was like, Jesus Christ, this guy has some, that special whatever it is to rush the passer, but just not the size that gets by at the NFL. Yeah, second question from Sincere Allah. Do you feel that JOK could drop because of his unique skill set and that a role has to be niche for him? Can niche be used like that? The, the prospects like Nick Bolton and Zayman Collins would get drafted higher because they're more plug and play. Do you think if JOK goes to a team that wouldn't use him correctly, he could be in the same position as Isaiah Simmons? Yeah, niche. You can use it like that. I okay. looked it up. I think the opposite, actually. He has a skill set that's unique that everyone wants. People want that coverage skill set. That is what everyone is looking for at linebacker today. So when it's this unique skill set that not a lot of guys possess, that every team wants, that guy goes earlier than expecting because you're saying to yourself, we want this in my defense. If I don't get Jeremiah Wiscarmo here, I don't have an option in the second round, third round, fourth round. So I do think he'll go fairly high. All right. Jumping off of Sincere Allah to Woody the Boss. Being from Wisconsin, I'd ask a Packer question, but there's really yeah. been so many. So which prospects from the Badgers are you most looking forward to in this year's draft? Future draft classes. I love Rashad Wild Goose. This is slot corner. Didn't play a ton this year. Got hurt. Then I think he opted out or whatever. But he has that solid athletic profile and size to be a man corner. Didn't play man at Wisconsin. That's not what they do in their defense. And obviously he played the slot when he did. But his numbers in man coverage were exceptional. You can go find him in the PFF draft guide. Wild Goose, though, one of my favorite quote unquote sleepers in the draft. That's declared early, only after a junior year. Probably should not have because he's not going to be a super high pick. But yeah, what are you going to do? All right, this is from Thoki 2020. No, 22. 
As a Seahawks fan, I was wondering, do you think bringing in a number of number two receiver and being able to keep Lockett as a slot receiver would help the offense more than upgrading the offensive line? Thanks and love the pod. I like Lockett on the outside. Like, I think he's that's where he says best. And, and and slots the easier one to fill yeah. of those roles, especially like, in this bring, class. Bring in a, a number two. Yeah, exactly. In this, in this class, you got a lot of slot types. And now Tyler Lockett's not big, but he's very proven he can win on the outside back to back thousand yard seasons this past year. So. It's like I said, it's the harder position to fill. Go find a slot guy in this class if you really want another wide receiver. Agreed. All right. AB Marnold 89. I've been evaluating some of the defensive players in this draft and notice you guys currently have Jamar Johnson on 280. He made a big jump though, didn't he? So, okay. So the draft board, I will put out the written article is like all I'll say is I feel confident in the evaluations. We have the draft board up to was like 300, 300 to fill out the mock draft, simulator. mock draft simulator. So a lot of the guys in there, like I just haven't been able to get to. Mm-hmm. And that's why you would see a Jamar Johnson who's thrown in there. As we know he's a prospect, but I just don't know how good. So he's at the back end of those boards. So sadly, sorry, people who took those, I don't know, as like the actual board at that time. We'll get up to 300 confidently here very soon. But right now, it's the board I put out is the one in the actual. Give me an opportunity before. here to talk about Jamar Johnson. I want to. But yeah, Jamar Johnson is a. He has made, like so, the amount of plays he's made on the football from in such a limited time, from like every alignment you could conceivably want him to do at the safety position. Like this guy made a pick against Justin Fields in Ohio State as a middle of the field safety, leaning, you know, shading one way. Flipping his hips, going back the other way to the seam, picking off a pass. He made a he made a interception, running the seam from the press coverage from the slot on a post route. Turns around, locates the ball, jumps higher than the tight end or I think the slot receiver. Picks off the pass. He had plays coming downhill from quarters on like out routes where he had pass breakups. Just kind of every role you've seen it already and seen him make plays. And it's not this isn't Andre Cisco jumping routes. This is him just reacting quickly and having that caliber of movement skills and athleticism. So I'm, I'm a big fan of his game. Not much. He's not going to be – it could be a run defender. Not, it ain't going to be him. He's not going to be your box guy. He's going to be your versatile coverage piece. So Producer David Sofaro, let's get this guy on the pot. Big riser. I'm all in. Let's yeah. get him on the pot. All right, Soccer for Life, 1009. I just wanted to hear your opinion on Javante Williams. I have him as RB1 on my board, and I think he's the best overall back in the class. What do you guys think? And if you disagree, then I'm curious to hear your reasoning for having guys like Etienne or Harris over him. Before you answer, I will say that some people are reacting to Javante Williams' pro day, and we're like, man, he's slow. It's like, if you liked Javante Williams and didn't think he was going to run the four fives, you were looking at it wrong. Like, he's a four fives type of back, but a guy that has really good change of direction, loved his short shuttle and three cone times, and then also really good force miss tackle ability and can gain yards after the catch. In a league where Clyde Edwards Hilaire running a four six at five foot nine is going in the first round, Javante Williams is a better back than what Clyde Edwards Hilaire brings to the table. And it's not, and again, the 40 time, I'm not concerned at all. It was what I expected, if not better. Yeah. A 10-3 broad is very good position. 36-inch vertical is solid. 22 bench reps for a 20-year-old. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. He's only 20. Very good. 4 5, five 40 at, I mean, I'm all in. At 212? At 212? Yeah. Like, that's solid. And then the the sub-7 cone, love it. But then also a 4.09 shuttle is elite. And that is... That's kind of him. Is like he has the twenty-two bench rep. He can run you over, but then he can also make you miss. That is why he is the 
leader in broken tackles per attempt in PFF history for a single season because he has a number of ways that he can break tackles, some exceptional balance. And again, to be as young as he is doing it, he, he might be running back one, man. It might be running back one. Say it a little louder. Say it with your he chest. Might be running back one. I hate that. I don't think anyone on the podcast listening likes that, but you have it. I like Javante Williams a lot too, man. He's got the intangibles too. One of the nicest guys I've talked to this offseason. Former valedictorian, 4.3 GPA in high school. Was going to go to Alabama to play linebacker, but he said he was too short. He is five foot nine, Kind of fair. I didn't even have a 4.3 GPA. At a 3.6. Yeah, I had a 3.9. I knew Austin was going to bring up the interview thing. Try hard. It was only a matter of time. What's up? <laughs> All right, uh, Electronics. This is from Electronics with a CKS at the back end. You mentioned in a recent podcast that edge defenders make up 12 of the 15 highest paid non-quarterbacks in the league. Between that and QB, success for both is highly correlated with draft capital. I'm going to stop there, and that's because they're drafted very highly because they're paid well. I mean, I think it's it's, it's kind of like yeah. it's, it's in conjunction. Chicken or the egg. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's also some analytical work showing that draft capital is becoming smarter. Do you think that there is room for teams to draft other positions more efficiently and that success for those positions will also slowly increase with draft capital as well? Yes. My, my answer is yes. You said a couple... You broke my brain with that. Well, you had a 3.6 in answer. high school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you said on a, a few podcasts ago that the biggest like area of opportunity in roster building right now is positional valuation. And it shows up in the draft more than anywhere. It shows up in the draft so much where teams are still taking box safeties, off-ball linebackers, and running backs in the first round. Like That is a misevaluation of how the market in free agency or on the open market currently values the position. I think people get upset, and maybe rightfully so. Who gives a fuck? People get upset at the term positional value because they think, you can't quantify how much a running back means to a team. You can't quantify culture. You can't quantify heart, all this stuff. And that's fine. Throw positional value on the football field out the freaking window. You can tell me running backs matter more than quarterbacks. That's fine because he's got a bigger heart or whatever. You, what you can't throw out the window are the literal facts of which positions get paid the most. Like that's the fact. Like the market values edge defenders, pass rushers, offensive tackles more than box safeties and running backs right now. You can get the best available safety on the market for $11 million a year, like John Johnson. But you get the fucking 20th best edge defender for Trey Hendrickson at 15. That is the market. That is positional value. So why, when you're getting a cost-controlled contract in the draft in the first round, would you spend it at a position that doesn't get paid well when you could spend it at a position that does? Because if you hit on that guy, or even if he becomes league average, look at the Colton Miller situation. People are saying he's developed into one of the better offensive tackles in the NFL, a little bit of a stretch. He's getting paid as, I think, the fifth best offensive tackle in the NFL. He's not. However, you're comfortable, one, investing a first-round pick in him, and two, paying him $18 million a year because he's league average at a position that you have to pay a ton of money for. So to get him an $18 million when the market's obviously going to go up with the salary cap increasing and the market deals and all those things is a good decision. And you get in that decision by drafting positions of high value, even if they just become league average at, like, say, tackle or pass rusher. Well done. All right. Getting out of that question because it broke Mike's brain. This Did. is from Griff Squared. Howdy, fellas. I like that lead. Howdy is underused. No, I just say howdy all the time. You do? Yeah. Oh, wow. I so, say howdy to you guys every time I walk in. That's true. Just Maybe it's because Quinn says it that I'm like, I'm like excited about it. Nice question for you. Most of the discourse around San Francisco this offseason has been in relation to the quarterback situation or re-signing Trent Williams. Man, we are behind. Meanwhile, I'm sitting over here getting nervous about the secondary. Right now, I believe our only starting cornerback under contract is Emmanuel Mosley. They did re-sign Jason Verrett, and we have Tavarius Moore and Jimmy Ward penciled in as starting safeties. Who are some realistic upcoming rookies the Niners could target in the slot? Could tar look to slot into some of these positions. Sorry. So... 
that scheme, going to want length on the outside. You're going to want kind of like I call them like those silo cover three corners, the guys who are very good in a phone booth, who can press you at the line of scrimmage, but then also have the speed to make up down the football field. And two guys I would, would like in that defense are Benjamin St. Juice from Minnesota, Kelvin Joseph from Kentucky. Both of them have that skills. At 43, though, where they're picking in the second round, seems a little rich to, my, to me for both of those guys. So maybe in the third, they're sitting there for you. That's where I'd lean. But not a lot of, not a lot, like the top guys in this class have that mold of that long athletic. After that, it's kind of iffy. Maybe even like a Robert Rochelle, the Central Arkansas cornerback, who's a freak athlete, freak swing span, but not a great football player yet. Kind of guy. I like St. Juice to San Francisco a but lot. Yeah, St. Juice, I would like it. San Francisco. All right, Ocho Cinco's son. My question is: diehard Bengals fan, but also RIP. Also, the only Bengals fan in Texas could benefit. Could the ben- Bengals benefit by drafting a quarterback like Texas's Sam Ellinger on day three? I like this Quinn and have. And have him be utilized not like Taysom Hill due to him not being that caliber of athlete, but more like Jacoby Brissett was used under center in the Colts' offense during short yardage downs this past season to keep Burrow fully healthy. You know, I'm not I'm not hating this. I think these uh, would go hand in hand as Ellinger not only excelled in the short yardage situations in college, but also the fact that Zach Taylor has a large tendency to call quarterback sneaks or draws on those kind of downs. If not, should the Bengals just try and bring in Brandon Allen? Bring Brandon Allen back and what other options are available. Would love to get Quinn's take on this as well. Quinn, you're getting fucking thrown in the questions as well. I like it. Day three pick, throw a flyer on Sam Ellinger to run fucking some Jacoby Brissett stuff. Quinn, where you at? Yeah, I mean, like Brandon Allen, he played well in that Texans game and that's about it. So like if you could take a flyer on a late round quarterback and he turns out to be like a decent backup for the cheap, like sure. Quinn's in. Also, like he's ignoring the fact that Burrow is, I mean, I know he's hurt, but like, He's an athlete. Yeah, he can run. You don't, I, I don't. I don't want to throw anybody else. Does he become you know like I mean? the Patrick Mahomes of the Bengals in that they never want to run QB sneaks to them because they're scared of an injury or whatever? I know that's happened for Kansas City. I am on record as saying every backup quarterback in the NFL should literally just be a runner, and when they come in, you have eight plays that they run, mm-hmm. option runs, and play actions off of them. Because if if like how we know how scarce the position is in terms of just talent, you're fucked. If your starting quarterback goes down, the Tom Moore quote that is Sam Monson's pin tweet. If 18 goes down, Tom Moore talking about Peyton Manning. If 18 goes down, we're fucked, and we don't practice fuck. Like if you, if your starting quarterback goes down, Nick Foles was the fucking outlier. Yeah, and even then, it's still don't, don't know how go that into roster building thinking we need to prepare ourselves for yeah. the Nick Foles Super Bowl run. Exactly. Okay, that's not going to happen. So. so I'm more of the opinion that should be how you approach the backup is like this guy immediately we go to a run heavy offense and like because it gives you a little bit of a higher floor than is something that the other team hasn't prepared for or wouldn't be preparing for. And yeah. it's kind of just like gives you a shot because there's not a lot of guys. I like that answer. I think that's yeah, good. I'll also say I don't think that's like an unrealistic scenario too because they just cut Ryan Finley. True. You know, they took him to be kind of that guy. Let's go get Ellinger and Newman. Let's go. Wake Forest Pro Day today. See what Ellinger, oh, let's see what uh, Newman runs. All right, this is from VCTFCH. As Lions fan, as a Lions fan, I'm hoping for 0-16 so we can get Rattler or Howell. Could you do a review of what their strengths and weaknesses are so far in their career and who would be the better fit for the Lions? Yeah, so having Dove, D- Divin? Divin. Divin too deep. <laughs> Divin too deep into... Sounds right now that I say it. I haven't dove too deep into either 
admittedly, but having watched, you know, when you watch Diami Brown, when you watch Oklahoma, Adrian Ely, whatever, you see those guys who watch him play. Rattler, mobile, great natural arm talent, off-platform, whatever. I think he had one of the highest grades outside the pocket of any quarterback in the college football this past year. Quick release, got some serious zip on it. That's why he's the dude. Like To me, he is QB1 next year's class. Howell, big arm, had one of the deepest throws. He had like a 60, 64, 65 yard this past year, fading left in the back of the end zone to, I want to say, Daz Newsom. He's got a cannon for an arm. Great accuracy down the football field. That's kind of why the offense was this Vertical. go ball yeah. offense because he can drop him in there. He can drop him in the bucket, but it was a simplistic offense. He's not really doing NFL concepts. That's going to be the knock on him. And he was cheeks against Notre Dame. Notre Dame fucking ate him up. Now, it's no shame. True. The Notre Dame defense was Shut up. a an all-world monster this year. I cannot but, wait for football Saturdays to be a little bit more normal this year, vaccinated and the like. And to be rooting, avidly rooting against Notre Dame in every single game. We're going up there for the Cincy game. I know. I can't wait. I'm going to be in there in a fucking Travis Kelsey jersey. Oh, if you wear a fucking Cincy jersey, you're not, you're not it's getting not it. It's not if, it's when. You're not, getting any, you're not getting invited to any of my cool tailgates that I know. Oh, that, yeah. Those are going to be sick. They, uh, I think they play at Louisville this year, too, don't they? That'd I'm be another Make a trip down to Louisville. I, Say Louisville. Louisville. I, Louisville. Did I tell the story on the pod about how I went to the Louisville game, Notre Dame game? No. Two years ago. Rip it. My buddy wore a leprechaun costume. Didn't tell me he was going to wear a leprechaun costume. Brought a leprechaun costume. He's not a Notre Dame fan. And I was like, Jesus Christ. I so love we're that. walking around. He's wearing a leprechaun costume. We go, and I just get like, we thought we were knocking on a, or we thought we were going into a bar next to the stadium. Turns out a guy just owns a house that he throws a tailgate with all his buddies. And we're like, can we come in? And each. 50 bucks, he let us drink and eat for free all day. So we tailgate at this guy's house. And by the time the game rolls around, I had taken advantage of this tailgate wholesale. As you I got my money's worth. And roll into the – there's a picture of me in the first quarter just overlooking like stadium. Lights out already. It was a bad time. I left before the end of the game. Uh, I ended up puking in my sink, and I had to clean it out the next mm, morning. I've puked in the sink once. My, I, was hanging out my sister. Time. I was hanging out with my sister who's older and um, – she was like trying to show me the ropes of drinking for like one of the first times we ever like drank together. Yeah. And I was just going in. They were like throwing like six, seven different IPAs at me. It was like different types of Ooh. beers and that'll get you, dog. That'll get you. I was working, you know, I was working the game a little bit here and there. And then I was like, I got to go to the bathroom. I got to throw up. And for whatever reason, you don't lock into the toilet. You lock into the sink. I've I probably a half dozen times in my life. And if, I don't know if sink. you've ever been to San Luis Obispo, listeners. But in San Luis Obispo, there's this tri-tip sandwich place called Firestone. That is absolute flames. And if you go to San Luis Obispo, it's like one of the only cool things there and wine. But I had the throw up of tri-tip. I'm not trying to get too graphic here. Was absolutely disgusting in the sink. Honestly, like game ending. Game ending in the sink. Um, I was going to bring up something there, but I forgot. Either way, the puke story was pretty good too. Oh, I, I was going to say, hell hath no fury. Hell hath no fury like a guy being told it's this much money for unlimited drinks and food. Oh, <laughs> like yeah. You were going to... I don't know what <laughs> price he could have named that I wouldn't have said, okay. Yeah, you're going to go... And also, once you put that money and down, you money down. I'm going to um, get my money's worth. I'm going to yep. fucking end it here. All right, yep. this is from Bobby Should Get Fired. With Belichick going after Shula's win record, this is a win-now mentality... The, will, will this win now mentality keep the Pats as a seven and nine to nine and seven for the remainder of Belichick's tenure as Pats head coach? Do you think he gets the record? So he is forty eight wins away from the record. He's sixty nine years old. If you go eight and eight every year, a little napkin math, six years. It's gonna can't take. go eight and eight anymore. Yeah. So it's going to coach seventy five. 
I don't know. I think he's making a play to try to go. 10. He needs some tenors. 12, 12 wins for four straight years. Shula's record immediately becomes like an asterisk, right? Because now it's, he's getting an extra yeah, game. With the I don't 17. know. True. Ooh. Okay. We got some broads. I I'm guess gonna I'm going to read them out. Florida tight end at 255. 245, I thought you said. Two, no, it was 245. You're right. Sorry. 245, 10, 9 inch broad. Whew. And then Kadarius Tony, buddy, 11, 4 broad. I didn't see what Ooh. he weighed in at, though. I didn't know what his weight was, but the 11, 4 broad for Tony is banana land. That is next level. And that's why he's just like from a standstill lightning. Yeah, he's lightning in a bottle. I'm going to try and find out what he weighed in at. I can't, I don't see that on Nagy's feed. Follow Jim Nagy NFL or no, Jim Nagy underscore SB, senior bowl guy. I think it was Breer too that just tweeted out that uh, Chase is going to do all the drills except for bench press. So no those bench? will be rolling in soon. God damn it. He did 23 reps in February. I guess teams kind of already know. They know he's a dog. All right. Regardless, that's, I'm going to keep reading these numbers as we go through. Um, all right. Jumping to Jacob MR65. If you can make a dream top three round choices for the Eagles, assuming they are building around Hertz as reported, who would be round one? Seems who would be who would they be? Round one seems like Pitts or Chase and a Sharpie at this point, but what could do they do on day two? Yeah, so now down at twelve, I think they're kind of out the receiver market. I, I agree. Might say so. I would go twelve, J.C. Horn, ideal South Carolina cornerback. In my mock, I had a J.C. Horn. Yeah. Hey, there you go. I liked it. Thirty-seven dream. Fingers crossed, dream Rashad Bateman, Minnesota. Praying that the receiver class. I, I, I said, it's tough to slot all these receivers in this class to the back end of the first round. There's still going to be that value on day two. That's where I'd love them to go. And then 70, then you can start addressing linebacker Jabril Cox. Get a coverage linebacker in there. That would be... Mm. Is that an upgrade over Nate Jerry mm. and Alex Singleton? He's a similar sort of player to a Nate Jerry, for sure. <laughs> Uh, cool. All right, jumping to Cleveland Clownies. I like that name. I, I like the names, by the way. If you're dropping a mailbag, can your Apple podcast name be something clever, not like a series of random letters? Give me something. Cleveland Clownies. How would you recommend draft? How would you recommendation draft? Come on, clowny. What would you recommend the Browns? Fuck me. How would you recommendation draft for the Browns who have a good offense and a poor defense? Do they have a good defense in round one? I don't even know how to answer this question. I think wide receiver is the only feasible <laughs> position I'd address offensively round one. Okay. That's how I'd answer that question. And so what, like, what, what's the dream fit? O-line, you're not, he's not seeing the field. Tight end's not seeing the field. Running back, you're not going to see the field. Quarterback, that guy just is not going to be able to see the field. And we talk about, you know, don't draft for need, but like also guys see the field in his first three or so years on his rookie contract, or you're not maximizing the fact that you got that guy for cheap on a rookie contract. So path to the field what's the what, what's your favorite defensive player for them at 26 that's a good question i do like barmore nice him in the draft that's a could take advantage of it defensive line like i, I think he's being underrated so some like numbers him. here from illinois pro day ben fennel just tweeted these out another good follow on twitter six foot 218 with a four five three forty 46 and a half inch vert and an 11 two broad you're gonna say who that is josh matter baby I don't know. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't say. He did not say it was Josh Matter Bebe. That's the the freaky freaky athlete for Illinois. But oh, sorry. More pro day stuff. Jamar Chase just ran a four three. Stop. Breer. Oh my Albert Breer god. Just tweeted that out. Yeah. Four three. Like four three what? Four three eight. Oh my goodness. People were saying he was not fast. Oh. People were like, yeah, he's not fast. Stop. He said even in this tweet, wasn't seen as a burner. He's faster than Jamar. Chase. He was faster than Justin Jefferson, like yeah. notably at LSU. Yeah. 438 is a solid number for Chase. 
at 205 with the broad? My goodness. This is why we were talking about him. This is why I said he was the best prospect of these group of he's a monster. All around monster. What what would you say like of the last five years? Yeah. Five classes. I like that where, question. Where oh, would yeah. you it, rank him like in, in that tier? The only one that's like in this tier, like Amari Cooper. Yeah. That's the best before that in the PFF era. These numbers. That guy was also like a rocked up 205. Yeah, I mean, very similar skill. Like he ran a 4-4 Cooper. Mm-hmm. Was a very good athlete. Produced out of this world his last year. I think people forget. Like he almost had 1,800 yards last year at Alabama. Like Dude, Lane Kiffin was in his bag yeah, with Amari like Cooper. Giving it to I him. I loved Amari Cooper with Lane Kiffin. That was, and Elijah Moore too. Like Lane Kiffin yeah. like propped up Schemes Elijah up. Moore and, and put him in a really good position but, to succeed. Yeah, Jamar Chase that dude i mean he's, he's fantastic so right. joel blades news just broke that the lions will not be using the franchise tag on kenny galladay they most likely receive a third round compensatory pick am i wrong to think they could have performed a sign and trade we talked about this a little bit before could they have done a sign and trade for kenny galladay yeah i, I they're going to get a comp pick for him though so it's not that big deal the certainty of if you make your player cards right you're going to get that third round compensatory pick so i'm not i don't blame them too much for doing so it's you didn't hold them hostage. Like it's it's not it's frowned upon to kind of do that to guys. I'd say so. I I have no issue with what they did. Oh, I got some more numbers for you. You want these? Terrace Marshall four three eight. Jamar Chase four three eight. Racing McMath four three four. All three LSU receivers running in the four threes. Stop. Racing McMath a four three four. Terrace Marshall four three eight though. That's a good Marshall. number for him. As that's, I was kept saying, he's got speed. That's solid. Yeah. Him and Jamar Chase running the same 40, though, when Jamar Chase is just an absolute dog on the outside. My goodness, I'm excited for Jamar Chase to go high in the draft, dude. This is going to be sick. Yeah. All right. Um, Cole MO922. What is your overall opinion on Brett Veach and his drafts? I have a fairly strong opinions on him because of Hardman, CEH, and the Flank. Frank Clark trade. I feel as if he was maintained his reputation because of his role in the Mahomes pick, of course, contrary to the belief of many Chiefs fans. You want to be viewed as a really good GM in the NFL for a long time? Pick a good quarterback. Yeah, Mahomes. yeah draft. Pick a future Hall of Fame quarterback and, Get and then you Wilson should be fine. You could fucking trade for Frank Clark and pay him $24 million a year if you want. Yeah, but well, let's just go through all the picks he's made. So he was not actually technically GM during the Patrick Mahomes whatever. That was still John Dorsey but was, by all accounts, a large driver in that pick and his opinion on him. So here's his picks. Second round, this is starting from 2018. Breland Speaks, Derek Nadi, Dorian O'Daniel. I'm only reading the top three-round picks. So the second rounder, Breland Speaks, third rounder, Derek Nadi, third rounder, Dorian O'Daniel. Kind of whiffing. Kind of whiffing there. Not great. Derek Nadi is a nice run-defending nose tackle. That's He's what you expected. The other two guys, just nada. 2019, Miko Hardman the second, Juan Thornhill in the second, Kalen Saunders in the third. Miko and Saunders just kind of Miko was a reaction to Tyreek Hill maybe not being able to play that year was with all the stuff going on with his kid. Juan Thornhill, a good pick, didn't play great after it. ACL Terry looked good before that. I, I'm, I'll call that a hit, but the Saunders Miko picks, yeah, I mean passing on DK, they're haunting, ter- passing on Terry McLaurin, haunting them. One in 2020, his first round pick, first first round pick. Now is the Clyde Edwards Hilaire pick, which is he better than James Robinson? The jury is out. It's you can't tell me 100% certain with certainty that he's better than James Robinson, the UDFA. So, second round pick, Willie Gay. We liked Willie Gay. We'll see. We knew his project, though, coming out. 
Lucas Nyang, their third round pick, opted out. Then he hit on, you know, Legereus Sneed. Got to give him credit for that one in the fourth. That's a, it's not a great track record. It's a small sample size, but that's not a good track record, I'll just say. All right, this is from Philly Special 94. I was wondering what you guys think about Howie Roseman and his drafting ability. Obviously, the Eagles have drafted poorly in the last few years, but I feel as though most of their picks have made sense at the time. So do you guys think Roseman and co. have bad process, bad luck, or does the problem lay more with developing and utilizing the talent they require? So he built that core back from when he was originally GM, 2010 to 2014. He drafted Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Lane Johnson, Zach Ertz, Vinny Curry. That was... That was the guy. Those were the blue chip guys that won them that Super Bowl for the most part. I mean, for a large part of that, that was the core, and he built it via his drafts. Now, last couple drafts caught a lot of flack. We didn't hate it. I mean, the Andre Dillard pick, the injuries have really derailed his career. The JJ Arcega Whiteside pick, Ortega. I didn't realize you had to pronounce it like that before I was super high in him. Regrettable. That's probably why he hasn't worked out in the NFL. Jalen Rager was getting was having Carson Wentz throw him the football last year. Like he was getting open. Go back and flip on the tape. I don't really have too many issues with Rager. Obviously passing on Justin Jefferson, haunting in retrospect, but Justin Jefferson is not breaking the rookie receiving record if he has Carson Wentz throwing him the football. Just we can get that out of the way right now. So last two drafts haven't been great, but I think you got to give him the benefit of the doubt of what he's done previously. Fair enough. Jumping to Jace F19. With the quickest way to save the Seahawks be trading Tyler Lockett. The money cleared off the books from Lockett and Dunlap may, enough, may be enough to retool the offensive line with a guard and possibly a center and defensive line with decent, a decent pass rushing veteran. With the right contracts, they may leave enough money left over to sign a corner. Also, say the Seahawks are able to get a second round pick for Lockett. We've seen talented wide receivers go later in the draft to fill that whole production. Is this foreseeable? I love this guy. This dude's fucking putting the map together on his house. His wife's like, honey, come to bed. And he's like, fuck, dude. Second round pick for Tyler Lockett. I get the money off the books here. Resign down lap. I don't know. Like that's, this is NFL fandom. The NFL, again, the marketing of the offseason is chef's kiss. You got guys in their basements fucking staying up to 1 a.m. trying to think of how they can fix the Seahawks. I love it. I hate when you say it as the marketing of the NFL because it's like, it's just football. Football is just the best. It's just the best game. The NFL doesn't have to do shit to make people do this. Stop. Okay, football is obviously the most popular sport in America. In America. And with that, the offseason is going to be more popular. The draft is going to be more popular, etc. But still, they've done a very good job of positioning the dates, like the tampering period being three days before. The draft is this three-day event. Like They've done a really good job of like putting it in times. The combine is literally a nationally televised event for fucking a week in a normal year. I think they do a good job of like propping up their events so that fans are more aware. And also, I think the structure of like when rookies can play, how, you know, Having three years in college football being a necessity allows the rookies to be developed when they enter year one. All that stuff matters. How contracts are set up, how the salary cap is is organized. It's not necessarily to make it equal or make the league more fun. It's to make more money because I think teams and, and fans are, find it more approachable. I like that point. I do. All right. Tyler Lockett, though, you want Tyler Lockett on your roster. You know, like you're you, – yeah, you could replace Tyler Lockett or you could draft Amara Darbo. And have that guy never see the football field. Like it, there are guys that it happens with, but it's also a very much a shot in the dark. And he's only at twelve point two five million dollar cap hit. That's what he gets on the open market right now. He's a very good wide receiver. So I, I don't. I would. I just think it's bad business to get yourself in a point where you're saying, "Let me cut a good player to go find to go fill out other holes in my roster." Mm-hmm. That I, I disagree with ever doing something like that. Fair enough. All right, jumping to CRSA W5. 
I don't know what that is. WFT with the possibilities. <laughs> w with the possibility. So this is talking about the Washington football. Team. Okay, with the possible departure of two of their corners and the weakness of linebackers, except for Holcomb. Calling Holcomb a strength is interesting. Would it be better to place the draft and develop the back end of the defense when eventually we see we'll lose someone in the front four. Like I, I've talked about this before too. Like the football team has a really good defensive line. It's gonna be hard to keep them all. Yeah, you know, Jonathan Devon Payne, Jonathan Allen. Montez Sweat, Chase Young, like you have a lot of investment there, but it's going to be very difficult to pay all those guys. Do they go corner, cornerback, linebacker in rounds one and two? The value in the three could be wide receiver, tight end two, or maybe even more depth along the defensive line. So obviously they signed William Jackson. I gave them Trayvon Morig in the mock draft because I love the idea of letting Landon Collins drop down play linebacker full time. Just don't even fuck around with him at safety with all his injuries or whatever. Just let him play in the box around the football where he is at his best. And then you could have Trayvon Morig deep. So I, I do like adding to that defense. Everyone keeps saying offense tackle, offense tackle. And yeah, they could use an offense tackle. But like Fitz, Fitz made magic behind the goddamn Miami Dolphins offense line. He is one of the quarterbacks that plays the game at a speed to which the offensive line is a negligible part of that equation. He gets the ball out of his hands quickly. So I don't think you, I, I think the incremental change you get for a guy in that back seven. You know, adding to your young secondary, taking after take a page out of the box playbook, could pay off bigger dividends than that one OT. But I could still see going OT. All right, concerned Chiefs fan here that spent the better part, and this is from Ladder Milk in KC. Concerned Chiefs fan here that spent the better part of last year worrying we were too thin at positions like offensive line, defensive back, and even pass catcher, only to see those two. See two of those rear their head in the Super Bowl. Wondering what you guys would do through the first two days for the Kansas City Chiefs to strengthen this roster to help Mahomes and further shore up the D. It's just, you got to go OT though, first round. Like the, the value, who's going to be on the board, how big of a need it is, what you saw just happen in the Super Bowl. You got to go OT. After that, by all means, address anywhere else you want, but you got to go OT round one. And then the one name I'll throw DB. I would love to see Trey Brown there in the slot. Playing press across the board with him, Legarius. That's a it's, he's a fantastic press corner, Trey Brown, but he's also five nine. Probably better in the slot, but in there in Casey's defense, they have the slot press a lot too. So let's see that. Let's see it. A uh, little break in the mail pits run a forty. Not yet. I haven't seen that, but a lot of people are saying or clamoring that these pro day numbers are bad, juiced. Yeah, juiced, and they probably are, but. A lot of people are saying there's no Jamar Chase did not look like a four three eight guy on tape. What did you think he looks like on tape? Low four, low four fours. fours, like low four fours guy. That's what I'm saying. It's not low that fucking crazy. Yeah. Like yeah, they're juiced a little bit. Like throw that three percent margin of error, sure. But like yeah. he's a low four fours guy. You didn't think Justin Jefferson was as fast as he was either, to be fair. And I do think that Chase looked faster on tape than, than Jefferson. Jefferson. I will say this though, Deion Jones did clock a four three nine at LSU's pro day. Deion Jones probably not a four three nine guy. And he ran a four five something. Dude, trampoline season. So I mean, you, there's like, there's like, I mean, Tyler Shelvin ran a five five. <laughs> if Tyler Shelvin breaks five seconds, then we can start. To, Let's start to have the conversation. We'll have a conversation. All right. So this is from Josh Skaggs, and I know that username well because this marks we're through March 10th. We're only 21 days out, and we're averaging 10 a day. We're close. <laughs> we're kind of close. Remember, I said it Wednesday. We'll do a fucking 10 hour live show. I don't care. We will get through these questions. We will yeah. get through these questions. All right, this is from Josh Gags. Do you think that letting Hunter Henry test free agency was the right decision for the Chargers? And do you think it's worth it to bring back Mike Williams on a second contract? 
the Mike Williams thing is interesting. I, I do think it's worth it depending on the price point. He's a good number two. It fits with Herbert. If you'd like to keep continuity in that wide receiver room to build around, you know, it's a big aspect of playing quarterback is knowing and trusting where your guys are going to be. Having that guy consistently there would be a good thing for his development. Um, tight end, though, Hunter Henry, is, there are three tight ends that move the needle in the NFL, in my opinion. After that, I'm not paying any of the other guys. Like uh, Blocking ability is the biggest way to differentiate yourself than after that. There's just not a lot of guys who are dynamic receivers who can win one-on-one. They're going to feature in your offense. I don't think Hunter Henry is necessarily one of them, so that's not going to be something you if you're definitely not going two tight end sets like the Patriots are building around their tight end, if that's what you're doing and, and that's what you want to do, by all means, pay a guy like that. But most offenses around the NFL, they don't move the needle. Like I said, Darren Waller, Travis Kelsey. Drew Sample. Drew Sample are your needle movers. Yeah. George Kittle and now soon to be Cal Pitts. And Will McClay, I trust. I just need to see a Cal Pitts board. So, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Working, I'm, I'm like Jones I'm working it. I'm really working it. bad. I'm just hammering refresh on the Twitter here. This is from Will McClay, I trust. I'm a Cowboys fan, and my question is, with Dan Quinn taking over the defense, could you explain how the schematic change will change their draft strategy for defensive backs? And how do you think guys like Farley, Holland, and Molden will fare in that system? I won't lie. Those three guys are my dream scenario for our first three picks. Probably won't happen, but a fan can dream. Yeah, so Farley fit really well. I think that's why everyone was mocking him. That's like his ideal, because you want length and you want speed. And I think I talked about this earlier, but it's important to kind of break down why the cover three and the press cover three is you think about the guy in the outside cornerback, what he is doing and the routes he has to guard. He has to guard the vertical tree. He has to guard goes, hitches, comebacks, slants, anything that comes with underneath release, digs, full sort of, you know, anything. He's not going down into the slot. You are not having to guard. You're not having to move laterally a lot. That's not going to be a big part of your job. Because as soon as that guy takes an under inside release, he's not yours anymore. You just have to press him. You just have to make that contact line, and you let him go. And you you zone off, and you get to your deep third and pick up any guys doing that. And so you're running up and down in a straight line often. And so when that's the case, again, speed and length and, and size to affect at the line of scrimmage because the jam is a big part of that, slowing down the route concepts. That is... So those are the things you're coveting then. If you like an Asante Samuel Jr. isn't going to be able to have his eyes on the quarterback or be able to read different route concepts, you're reading the one guy. And so it's not like pure man coverage where you have to have a mirror ability and quick feet and whatnot. And it's not like pure zone coverage where you have to uh, have instincts to be able to read route concepts and be able to read the quarterback and have, you know, be assignment sure. It is very much a unique skill set based off what you're, being asked to do so again length and speed and size are kind of what you're looking for silo same players and molden would not be a fit you know farley would be a fit holland those guys are slots i don't think they'd be a great fit i think they re-signed jordan lewis who would be your slot cornerback there um fits that i would like i feed to melifani would be a fit that's that kind of guy benjamin st just would be a fit. like those guys who are straight line can affect you uh, Paulson and Debo those would be fits for you guys um, I, I'm going to add some more here to the flames that are people reacting to pro days pro day times being juiced another scout had Jamar Chase at a four through six according to Albert Breer and remember 
scouts, front offices take the best number they get. Yeah. And these are also like this year as opposed to like the 439 number set for Deion Jones. That's what LSU said he ran. Yes. Scouts on the ground probably had him in the high four fours or something. Mm-hmm. Like and you're getting – and no one's paying them. attention so much – yeah. Like right now, like Albert Breer is tweeting out what several different scouts had, 436, 439, and 44 flat. It's like those are the numbers, though, that go into the room. I mean, you talk to Mike Mayock about the Damon Arnett pick. They said, I had a scout that said he ran a 44 flat or something along those lines. Like that's, yeah. and we talked to Daniel Jeremiah, former NFL scout. And he says, and he said this on the broadcast too uh, during the combine last year. It's like the reason you still see Charlie Cashley and company still out there with their stopwatches is because in the front office, what goes on the official board when the clock is on and you're making a pick is the scout you had and the best time you got, the best time, the best measurement, the, all of that. It's not the combine numbers. And I know like media and, and fans want like, well, he's a four four five guy at the combine, so that makes sense. It's like, no. What matters is these times. That's what's gonna dictate where these guys get picked. All right, sophisticated Browns fan, six nine, six nine, nice. I like this guy. Mike, you've talked before about pairing complimentary pass rushing styles, pocket bender with the bull rusher, including the Browns already. My question is, how would you weigh the value of complimentary pass rusher versus being stronger against the run with fewer defensive linemen? I know the run game isn't terribly important, but your defensive coordinator's peace of mind and confidence to play more guys in coverage, would you want to pair two power defensive ends rather than get to the QB more? A la Mike Zimmer. So Size does not automatically equate to run defense, though. Like it's easy to say, "Oh, the guy's bigger; he should be better in run defense." It's like, no, I think like Von Miller is one of the best run defenders in the NFL. That guy's exceptional at just not getting blocked and making plays. So you could also, like, in a lot of defenses, one guy will be the the weak side, and you'll be the one who's freed up wide nine or hand up three four outside linebacker, whatever you want. And that guy can work better and, and maybe in space, he's still a very good run defender and won't get locked up and will still make plays on ball carriers and be better. And I think that's also getting even more and more important when a ton of teams are optioning off your defensive ends nowadays. A ton of teams are putting that guy, that guy, and if that guy's a 275, 280 pounder, he's going to be a liability when you know, optioned off of, when he is the read player. Like, he's not going to be able to track down both those guys. If you have a smaller, undersized guy, maybe they can. So, I will say, it's not necessarily uh, – size is not necessarily sequential to run defense. Just because you have two power ends doesn't make you a great run defense. I will say, though, these sort of complementary styles is a nice thing to have. It's not something that I would – if one guy's obviously a better player, I'm not going to draft the other guy because he's complementary. That sort of thing. Fair enough. I do like that he brought up that question. That's a, that's a listener to the pod. I'll tell you what. Um, so he has some more questions here. I think before we get to his other questions, only three or four more left here before the end of the pod. Um, Marco Wilson just hit a 43 and a half inch vert. Well, if you Marco know, Wilson's a great athlete. Marco Wilson, Marco Wilson, cornerback for Florida, also the guy that threw the shoe in that game that kind of cost him. Kind of cost him. It cost him. Yeah. But Marco Wilson, also the guy who committed a pass interference. This was back in 2019 against Miami, week one. Actually, it was week zero. Pass interference on a fourth and 23 on a pass that was like 12 yards down the field to give them a first down. Uh, it just a very boneheaded player consistently. Started over C.J. Henderson as true freshman. Same recruiting class. Started over him because he is ridiculously athletic. Just never a good football player, sadly. 
Fair enough. All right, but now going to back to this guy's question. Uh, given that Joe Woods has talked about wanting to play in dime with three safeties on the field at once, could you talk about the skill sets that could complement Grant Delpit and Ronnie Harrison at safety? Yeah, John, John Johnson. Johnson's. <laughs> John That's Johnson. a compliment. That's so. a very good call. Very yeah. good call. Would you also, would you prefer for our first round two picks, two first round picks, Trayvon Morig and Ronnie Perkins, or first picks of the two rounds, Trayvon Morig and Ronnie Perkins, or Carlos Basham? What the fuck is this? Just none of these make sense because they were assigned to safety and he's asking about safety. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Well, he signed safety. Everybody. John Johnson, great fit. Love yeah. It. Okay, goal. You're better that it, you did better than any of the safeties you could have gotten. For this action. is from Okay Goal. Of Chase, Pitt, Smith, Waddle, and Bateman, which playmakers would you be worried about fitting into New England? Hmm. None of them. Maybe. No, I would not worry. They're good. Like, Maybe just Pitts. Pitts, yeah. Because you got a zillion tight ends, but like. Who wouldn't want another? Yeah, me. Not me. Not me. Do you believe the NFL will actually value these playmakers as high as you do at PFF? Do any of them have a chance of making it to 15? I do. I actually do because of how good they are. These guys are special players. And any of them have a chance of making it to 15? Maybe. Jalen Waddell? Maybe. But I'd be floored if these guys are. We saw, I mean, because we saw the Dolphins reading the room thinking. They're not even making it to 12, which I I'd blow my mind, but very possible still. All right. Jumping off to Kemper 18. First, I'd like to say it's amazing to find people that look at this game with a common sense view of it. I'm a high school principal now, but I was head coach, head H's coach for many years. And during that time, I stayed in arguments about every aspect of the game. To me, when it comes to positional value, this is the correct and yet yet simplistic approach there are hierarchies in these groups such as dominant tackles and lockdown corners but the point is it's more about the unit than the individual four groups that really matter and then a fifth qbs and running backs are in different quadrants the first four are not listed oh my god this guy's question's long this is his four ranks of position groups according to positional value importance number one offensive line number two pass rushers number three defensive backs four pass catchers five into your run stoppers and he didn't include quarterbacks because they're obviously different why would you ever draft anyone in the first four rounds who are not in the first four groups or a quarterback also why would you not just take the highest graded player out of the first four groups every single draft pick forget needs or anything else that's all that's right up your alley just draft every edge rusher no matter how many i mean of the I, at least I, I don't, it doesn't have to be edge rusher but at least of the first four groups i agree with them like go why why are you spending top 50 top 100 picks on anything but offensive line pass rushers and dbs why not what 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 are you doing getting a box safety or a line off ball line oh you know okay. what i mean like i want to spend my top 100 picks on players that make a lot of fucking money on their second contracts yeah the, i agree with that sentiment but it's the, the people the players that make a lot of money on the second contracts are good not players. quarterbacks good players but also like tackles Pass rushers, corners, wide receivers. That's like those are your four money money spots. Cool. That's gonna do it. That's the last question for our mailbag today. And we're gonna do a bonus mailbag tomorrow. Gonna answer some more questions tomorrow. Gonna Just continue to grind through again. this mailbag. And eventually, in addition to the commitment on this podcast to do a live show of every review that we don't get to before the draft, we also have to do that same vein. We're gonna have to do a fucking international mailbag because we have like over 300 questions in the international side too that we have to get to. So Wednesday, what is it, April 28th? Prepare for 10 hours of content because it might just come. You know, it might just come. We might get a sponsor for it. I don't know. It could be there. All right, but that's going to do it to, to kind of preview the bonus mailbag. One of the guy's names is Sky Pie Butt Cheeks. So 
It's going to be a treat. Hell yeah. Really excited for it. Uh, but until next time, um, that's it. We're going to now jump to interviews with TCU safety Ardarius Washington and Oklahoma cornerback Trey Brown. Now joining the 241 Drafts podcast is former TCU safety Ardarius Washington, one of the much-anticipated guests. We've been a big fan of your game for quite some time. You've graded really well for PFF over the past few years. It's great to have you on the show. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, man. Of course, dude. Of course. Let's start with your pro day. How do you think it went? How was that whole process? I'm sure it must have been crazy to see probably every team in attendance talking to every team. How was that process for you? How was your pro day? Definitely. It was uh, stressful leading up to it, you know, but uh, overall, I think I did an okay job. Obviously, I feel like I could have improved on a lot of those areas that I know I could have done better at, but the numbers is what it is. But leading up to that day, it was definitely stressful, man. Uh Seeing a lot of those teams there, that really didn't bother me too much. Actually, it kind of felt so more so like game day. So like that's kind of how that morning felt like it was. I was getting ready for game day. Mm -hmm. and, and what was some of the feedback that you received from teams at your pro day? Would you did you talk to a ton of teams there? What were that? What was some of the feedback on your numbers or your game at all? Oh uh, yes, I did. A lot of them said they weren't really worried about my numbers or my forty time or anything like that. But they definitely said that I had a really really good workout mm -hmm. and that I did a really good job and they'll uh, stay in contact with me. So that's kind of what the feedback was. Have teams talked to you at all about where they want to play you in the NFL? I think, you know, something that PFF talks about a ton with your game is that you can kind of play anywhere, play in the box, play in the slot, even do some, I mean, you could do some outside corner stuff with what you've done. What what have teams said about where they want to play you in the NFL? As, exactly. So, like, they all say uh, different things, you know. Some say they're going to throw the whole kitchen sink at me. They're going to put me at different roles and try to see where, where I fit the best at. But a lot of them just uh, either safety, nickel, or anything in the box on them. It just really doesn't matter. They're kind of just going to throw everything at me and see what I can do. And then so I'm willing to uh, do it also, you know, so yeah. find whatever they want need me at. So I think that's a good problem to have, Ardarius, where teams are telling you you can play anywhere. We'll do anything with you. That's that's pretty awesome to hear, man. I think uh, – is there a position that you like to play most or do you like going to every game thinking you can play in the box, play in the slot, play nickel, all these different things? Exactly. So, like, they kind of asked me that too. They were like, what do you like to play the most? You know, and I kind of just give them all the same answer because this is true. Like, I mm -hmm. honestly feel like I can play anywhere. So, like, I always give them, you know, I want to be where the ball is. So, the ball, if it's a run down, I want to be in the box. If it's a passing, it's a passing down, I want to be over the top of where the ball is going to be at. So, that's kind of how, like, I look at it. So, I go in the game thinking, like, however y'all want to use me where, the, where I can be around the ball, that's what I want to do. So, that's kind of how, like, what it is. I've talked to a lot of players, Ardarius. I don't think anyone's answered that better than I want to be where the ball is. I think that's fantastic, dude. I think that's exactly where you want to be. Um, something that stands out in your game for us, and when we kind of evaluate your tape, we feel the separator for you in this class, why we're so high on you is your instincts and your ability to be there before the ball gets there and see things happen before they happen. Have teams had that similar feedback? Do you feel like if you put your scouting hat on, do you think that's your biggest strength? What do you feel like? Obviously, versatility is a big part of it too, but what do you feel like is your biggest strength in this class? Definitely, definitely instinctive, you feel me? And like you said, being always being where the ball is, you feel me? So a lot of teams have said that too. And being a ball hawk, they've just been always around the ball. And a lot, a lot of times it comes from preparation. Mm -hmm. And just being instinctive, you feel me? So, like, some things yep. you just can't teach. And some and some of those things that I have, that I feel like I have better than any, any other DB in this draft class, for sure. I'd love to hear more about your preparation and what all goes into a given game week. You know, when you're preparing, preparing for a certain offense or a certain opponent, what do you look for on film in the days prior to that game? 
uh, a lot of the tendencies, you feel me? Like a lot of things, like out of formations, like a lot of teams run the same formation. So like they line up in this formation, they're going to run these these plays. They line up in this, they're going to run these plays. But a lot of times how the teams try to confuse you, they motion into it or they shift into it, but they're going to run the same thing. So like that's kind of how the preparation, like the for, okay, this is the, their base formation, this is what they're going to run. So like my thing during game time, okay, how are they going to get to that formation? You feel me? So once mm-hmm. I know how they're going to get to that formation, then it'll be good. So that's, that's how, that's how it goes. And, and how has that film study kind of changed in the offseason? Have you had any opportunities to, say, watch film on yourself or, or watch film on guys in the NFL? Like, I, think, I mean, Tyron Matthew is a player we bring up with your game a ton. You compare well because Tyron Matthew, smaller guy that plays every position on the football field with a ton of success and a ton of instincts. Do you watch guys like Tyron Matthew, guys that you feel like you could do a similar game to in the NFL? Definitely, definitely. That's what I like, kind of like I roll my – uh, my role model is actually mm-hmm. like into the NFL. I guess you can say like, well, I like to model my game out there. Actually, is Tyree Matthew. So that's kind of like like his whole his championship swagger and stuff like that. Then just like the way he plays the game, he can play everything, you know. And not only does he make the, like himself better, he makes everyone that's around him better too. You feel mm-hmm. by all the knowledge that he has by playing different roles and stuff like that. So that's definitely who I like. Number one, who I model my game out there for sure is Tyree Matthew. That's great, man. He's he's also a super nice guy. He's been on this podcast before. He and I are, are, are good friends. He's he's a cool dude, man. I definitely like Tyron Matthew. His swagger Thank on you. and off the field are sweet. <laughs> he's a he's a fun be, dude. Uh, glad to meet him for sure. Yeah, you should, man. I think you will. You definitely will. Um, I, I'd love to hear more now about, you know, obviously you talk about you know, players you compare to in the NFL. I'd hear where you feel like your game needs to most improve going into the NFL. Where do you want to get better the most as you enter the league? Definitely, man, my eyes. You know what I mean? Like, uh, definitely, like, getting my eyes in the right uh, situation, you feel me? So, a lot of a lot of times, I was run player first. So, like, on play action. So, I feel like a lot of times, like, my eyes, like, reading, snapping my eyes from run, pass, read to the uh, pass. So, that's definitely uh, what I think feel like my game needs to get better at. There's two former TCU teammates I want to bring up that you've played with in the in the secondary there at TCU. One is Trayvon Morick, a guy that's been on this podcast as well, who is a super smart player, played a lot of deep safety for yeah, TCU, definitely. and an absolute dog. One of my favorite guys in the 2020 draft, Jeff Gladney, who I thought had some really, really outstanding film, playing outside corner and a ton of, a ton of quarters looks. You play a ton of quarters in TCU. I think Jeff Gladney, man, very, very good tape. Let's start with Trayvon Morick. Talk to me about him. Give me your scouting report on Trayvon Morick. Trayvon is always gonna be in the right place at the right time, man. Like he, uh, his preparation and communication skills are elite for, for real, for real. So like, if I know if I'm going into a war, he's gonna be there right there beside me on the front line. You feel him? So like, mm-hmm. um, that's kind of like it. And like, no one can catch on him. You know what I'm saying? His man to man cover skills are great. You feel him? Like, yeah, that's that's kind of so my uh, take on trade. Like, that's my dude for sure. Like, we always on the same page. Like every time we came to the sideline, I ask him like, what are you getting over there? Like, what do you need? You know what I'm saying? Do you need me over there? Or he'll do vice versa because our uh, position is interchangeable. So we was always talking, always on the same same page at all, at all times for sure. And, and talk to me more about Jeff Gladney, who's now playing for the Minnesota Vikings. Man, Jeff Gladney, he was smart. He actually helped me 2019. He helped me out a lot, a lot 2019 year for sure because I was like really just getting rolled in and like, he was an older guy. So he knew a lot, you feel me? So like he, he knew what to do out there. So like a lot of checks and anything like that, like he already knew what to do. So he definitely helped me out a lot by going out there. Then, like, he knew, like, certain concepts, too. He understood concepts a lot, you feel me? So, like, they would line up with certain this. He would, like, look for this, look for this. Or even just, like, technique-wise, he would change his technique up in the game and just let me know, like, I'm going to play hard underneath. You play over the top of me. I'm going to play hot over the shoulder. Then you play underneath me more. So that's kind of how, like, we adjusted it during the game. So, like, he talked to me a lot. So that's definitely, like, one of the things that I, I enjoy about playing Man. with Jeff. 
It sounds like the communication in the in the secondary at TCU was top notch, dude. You guys um, are you, constantly you talking. <laughs> yeah, you definitely got to have great communication because if you don't, man, some someone's gonna be cut wide open. So over communication is always the best communication in TCU defense for sure. Man, that's awesome to hear, dude. I, I'd love to finish with this. And I ask every prospect kind of what their why or what their motivation is to continue to play football at the level you do and pursue a career in the NFL. Why do you love this game? Why are you pursuing a career in football? I got to definitely uh, help out my uh, family if you able to make, have a better living for them. Then also, man, because just show everyone that I can do it at this size, you know what I'm saying, and, mm-hmm. and play at the highest level for many years to come, definitely. I'm a dog, you feel me? I like Pete, you feel me? So like, that's, that's pretty much why. Proving some doubters wrong, man. I'm excited to see where you go in the NFL, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thank you. Now joining the Two Foreign Drafts podcast is former Oklahoma cornerback Trey Brown. Trey, great to have you on the show. Uh, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. I want to start with your recent pro day. Saw these numbers come across my timeline. Kind of blown away here. 438, 40-yard dash, 427, short shuttle, 38-inch vertical, 10-3 broad, 7-3, or 7-11, three cone. A lot went into that pro day. I'm sure you're excited that it's behind you. Can finally maybe eat a meal that isn't, you know, pre-cooked or one of your um, whatever on these strict diets, but it's nice to be get that behind you. How do you feel about uh, your results? I feel pretty good. Um, you know, uh, I wish uh, – well, looking at my 40, I wish I didn't swerve a little bit because maybe that time would have been even faster, you know. Uh, but just looking back on all my numbers, uh, I'm proud and uh, I'm, I'm satisfied. That's good to hear, man. I'm happy for you. Yes, um, definitely know that the, the pro day is much anticipated. I've talked to a lot of prospects where they're like, man, I can't wait to my pro days behind me so I can finally get back to normal, eating a little bit more normal and those <laughs> types of things. But um, that's cool that it is behind you. Now I kind of want to talk more about you know, your, your, your off season specifically, you know, you had some opportunities at the senior bowl to go down there and, and show what you had, you know, in the one-on-ones. Talk to me about that experience and all that you learned from your, um, your trip down to Mobile. Man, it was uh, it was fun. Uh, I was I was excited. You know, uh, I'm glad I, I got the invite because, uh, you know, I feel like sometimes I'm overlooked. You know, which is okay. You know, but uh, every opportunity I get, I'm gonna go out there and uh, show that I'm the best out there, regardless of who who's out there. And uh, I was just glad for the opportunity. So when I went out there, um, you know, one on ones, there was some pretty good wide receivers out there. You know, you see guys, big time guys from every school that was out there, and so. I'm like, yo, this is a perfect uh, opportunity to show these guys what I can do. And uh, I went out there and I competed. And uh, a lot of guys, uh, you know, uh, I was blessed to uh, be voted the best DB out there. You know, uh, not just that I thought so, but other guys thought so out there by the way I competed. And, uh, man, it was just pretty good. And just learning from those coaches, you know, learning uh, the different type of the different type of things, the different type of schemes, uh, the NFL has changed. It's, it's, it's changed. Like, it's a lot different to college. So I'm glad I was able to get a head start on those things. <clears throat> I know, you know Mike Renner, who's our, our draft analyst here at PFF, talks a ton about, you know, your ability in press man, is even playing on the outside with what some would call lack of length. I think you're a little bit smaller mm-hmm. stature for an outside corner, but you see that press technique and that sticky man coverage ability on the outside at Oklahoma. And then somehow some people were surprised that you showed up in the one-on-ones and had similar ability. Mike, not one of them. Me, myself, not one of them. I think that's where... <laughs> People are really going to covet your game. I think you project really well in a man-heavy scheme, whether you're playing on the outside or in the slot. Do you feel like that man coverage ability, that ability to play at the line of scrimmage in man concepts, is that strength or that separator for you in this class? Or what do you feel like is your biggest strength in this corner class? Yeah, I feel like, you know, me playing man-to-man, you know, uh, that's something you got to be very consistent at, you know, in order to be successful. And I've been doing that for about three, four years straight. And so that's that's one of the things that separates separates me on top of me being intelligent. 
as an intelligent guy out there who, you know, who can see things coming before they even come, you know. And so, uh, man, I feel like, yeah, just just me uh, just me having those man-to-man great great coverage all the time, that, that really just separates me. Yeah, over 400 snaps played at outside corner in each of the past three seasons and really good production as well from what PFF has seen from you at Oklahoma. And I think you see, again, you talk about how the NFL is different. Still, NFL is playing a ton of man coverage, and I think they covet that ability regardless of size. Being able to play man coverage from the outside or from the slot is going to be something that teams cover you for. When you were at the Senior Bowl, did you receive similar feedback or positive feedback about your ability in man coverage from the coaches there or even the scouts there? I know a lot of the prospects at the Senior Bowl talk to scouts and evaluators via Zoom and different calls on those things. What was some of the feedback you got from those guys? Yeah, um, I, I received a positive, positive rave about uh, me going out there and competing from a lot of teams. They said they love the way I covers. They, I love the way they love the way I competed, and that certainly helped me. And uh, like I was saying, for me getting the respect from other guys that I was covering is, is very, you know, that says a lot about it. For example, Des Fitzpatrick. Des Fitzpatrick, he gave me, you know, he showed respect to my name, but I was one of the best players he's uh one of the best players he's ever went against. And uh, that's a, that's that, that shows a lot because he was also one of the best players I've played as well. And so uh, a lot of teams out there, you know, they let me know that I, yo, I was doing an outstanding job regardless of me going out there and playing for two days straight. And I'll, yeah. I'll only practice two days, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's awesome to hear, man. I think getting that kind of feedback from play- peers, especially at the Senior Bowl, where some of the best seniors in the country go down there to compete. But I'll tell you right now, from watching your game at Oklahoma and even some reps down at the Senior Bowl, it's not all positive feedback you get. It looks you you play the game with a little bit of a chip on your shoulder, a little bit of a dog, from what mm-hmm. I see. I don't, you're obviously not mic'd up in the games that I've seen or even on the All-22. <laughs> but I'd love to hear about your approach to the mental side of playing corner in those one-on-one situations. I think it matters, man. I really do, from the outside looking in, those corners that can get into the heads of opposing receivers play that alpha dog mentality whether they're talking trash or letting their play talk it's a big thing how do you approach the mental side of it and, and kind of competing or trash talking with the opposing receiver see i'm not the type yeah i'm not the type to really trash talk you know damn it uh, i was banking on that trey i thought you were one of my guys <laughs> god damn it nah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna let i'm gonna let my game definitely speak for itself uh you're gonna be mad from you know because it's gonna hurt even worse when i'm not even talking trash to you so uh that's what that's what hurts but nah, it's when i go out there my my mentality is me versus me every time I step out on the field. If if you catch the ball or if you do something and get open, that was because it was on me, not because you did something, which is I still respect it. You know, you did what you had to do, but I always look at everything as it's me versus me. So if I mess up, it was because of I messed up. You faced a lot of good receivers in your time in Oklahoma, including some receivers on your own team and C.D. Lamb, et cetera. Oklahoma State's Tylan Wallace is a guy I've talked to on this podcast, another talented guy, Des Fitzpatrick of Louisville down at the Senior Bowl. Who are some names that come to mind that you felt like gave you the best competition or guys that really gave you the most fits in the uh, in college football? Are we talking about uh, just in, in general my three years? Yeah, in general, your three years. I like the guy, uh, that guy Jalen Rager over there. Man, that, that was a – he had it all. The guy was physical. The guy was fast. The guy could jump. He could play any position on the field, as you've seen, as you if you watched his tape. And uh, man, he was just a competitive guy. You know, he also played with a chip on his shoulder, along with Tyler Wallace and them. And uh, also Jamar Chase. He was a pretty good physical guy. But uh, man, Jamar, uh, Jalen Rager was that. He was that guy for me. 
I love Jalen Rager coming out too. And I think in Philadelphia, bad quarterback situation, not the best start, also battled injuries. I'm, I'm expecting a bounce back from Jalen Rager in year two, man. I think he's definitely yeah. a really fantastic player. Um, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to hear more uh, about your motivation to continue to play in the NFL and your, you know, your motivation to pursue an NFL career. I like to talk to, you know, a lot of prospects about their why or their motivation to make the sacrifices you have to make to play college football at the level you did go to the senior bowl and now pursue an NFL career. What is your motivation? What is that? Why that's driving you? Man, I've been through a lot growing up, you know, and uh, football has helped me get through a lot of things. You know, uh, like, like a lot of guys, I mean, a lot of people know that my mom passed away my sophomore year and I was one of my biggest fans. You know, uh, we've been through a lot with each other and uh, that that that's one of my wives, man. And also just just where I come from, it's not too many people who, who make it out from where I come from. You can just look in the NFL right now and see it's probably about, you can count three guys who's in the NFL from Oklahoma, three, four guys in the NFL. And a lot of guys, we all look up to them. And so me knowing that uh, I have that platform to show a lot of younger guys, um, you know, yo, you know, you look up to me. You know, uh, I've been through so much and um, I didn't give up. I didn't quit. And uh, and then just the, the that that alone helps me, you know, watching the young guys look at me and like, yo, I want to be just like him. He's been through a lot. He didn't give up knowing I battled through a lot. And if he can do it, I can do it, too. So that's just what that's what that's my why. Just doing it for everybody. That's awesome, man. Role model. Love to see that. Another question I love to ask prospects, specifically corners, is, you know, to walk me through a given game week, what you're looking for on film, what you're repping in practice to prepare for a certain opponent. I know on film, a lot of cornerbacks look for wide receiver tendencies, pre-snap alignment, those types of things. I'd be interested to get an inside look at what you're looking at on film and how you're prepping for a certain receiver or a certain offense each week. Of course, you know, Monday, uh, I like uh, when I'm on my own Monday. I like to watch the receiver. I like to watch his strengths and his weaknesses. What he likes, what he don't like, what he prefers. How does he, how does he react when there's when he get hands on? You know, I just break down the, the top receiver. I just break down what he, everything he does and what he doesn't do. And so I, I like to take that. And then on, on Tuesday, let's go. And I like to look at formations, tendencies, down and distance. You know, and I have a route tree, one through nine. So for example. In, in this formation, you know, uh, say it's three by one and you're the backside, you're the backside receiver, you know, um, and you, I counter my, my route tree, you get, you do three routes. Like, say, for example, you got the comeback, you got the uh, slant and you got the, uh, you got the post. So I, I just, I just broke that down. I know you're not going to do anything. So when you release outside, I know in my mind that you're about to do a comeback because I didn't broke down what you do in this three by one formation. And I could play that and still not guess, but still be, you know, expecting to come back to come because that's what I watched and uh, so forth and so on. If you go inside, I know you got the slant, the post in that formation. And so uh, that's a lot. That's how I like to uh, break down my things. I got a route tree, break those things down and see how many routes you run in that route tree. Man, you know, you know what that reminds me of, you know, Chris Collinsworth does a podcast at PFF with Richard Sherman, obviously cornerback right. San Francisco 49ers. He says a lot of that same shit where he's talking about <laughs> pre-snap, diagnosing you know the x number of routes two or three routes that they normally run from these alignment and he says the same thing it's not guessing it's putting together you know a lower amount of routes that they run from this alignment whether they're inside the hash or whatever it may be like that again that that you got to keep doing that man i'm telling you what i'll tell you the best the best (laughs) nfl cornerbacks do that and i i've talked to receivers too receivers do the same thing you know it's like hey he knows that i'm going to be coming at him with one of these three routes he watches as much film as i do Devontae adams is one of those guys where i know Mm -hmm. he knows what type of routes i'm running he'll set things up differently those things so I think that's awesome to hear how much has that film preparation really changed in the offseason do you like to go back and watch film on yourself maybe watch film on guys like Richard Sherman in the NFL be interested to know what you're watching now yeah I like to I like to watch film on myself you know and grow from that area 
Like the first thing I'm going to look at is my weaknesses. I'm not going to look at none of my strengths because I know what I can do, but I know my weaknesses can hurt me in the game more than my strengths can help me. So uh, I like to go look at those things and be like, yo, you know what? I'm going to correct that during the off season or whatever I have to do. And I'm going to work pretty hard at it. You know, I'm going to rep- I'm going to do it repetitive. And so that's going to make me, you know, a whole, a, a lot better than what I am now. So just working on my weaknesses is something that I, I like to look. And I also like to look at veterans, you know, how they, how they play the game, how they do a lot of things in the NFL against uh, different type of receivers and how many techniques they use. Oh, yeah, that's awesome to hear, man. I really appreciate, you know, you breaking down that, that preparation and those things. I, um, that's that's um, all I had for you for this one. I really appreciate, again, you setting aside the time, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward, Trey. Yes, sir. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of 2 for 1 Drafts. Make sure you leave a five-star review in Apple Podcast to get your chance to win a draft guide. You send me a screenshot of that review. 50% of the DMs I get will be getting a draft guide. Full stop. I've already sent out thousands, thousands of draft guides already. Please leave a review and do it. Uh, this is going to be Austin Gale, producer Mike Quinn, producer David Safaro, Mike Renner, 2 for 1 Drafts. Mm-hmm.